Today on Movie Rollers, we talk about Mass, The French Dispatch, and No Time to Die. It's time for Movie Wallers. Hi, this is Joe. Hi, it's Rashmi. And yes, you as well. Movie Wallers is your weekly dose of film reviews, movie news, and general banter. In theaters, on DVD, online streaming, or on the back of an airplane. If you love the movies, this show is for you. Hello, hello. Hello. Hello, all. Back from just recording another podcast. It is very efficient doing multiple podcasts. I think as of late, I've been throwing them out one day at a time as well, just because hey, it's kind of efficient to edit them, but. We also think you'd like to get them as soon as they're cooked, rather than drib- dribbling them out. Yeah. And no. <laughs> and it reflects how many movies we're watching all of a yeah. sudden. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, I mean, it's constantly four a week, three a week now. It's getting crazy. And screeners and, yeah. It, again. My to-do list is ever-growing. Despite, we always talk about this this time of year, but man... Like, can we not even spacing out? Like, there's just going to be, like, a whole bunch of really good movies that are all coming out in a crunch. In a year when we've really been dying to get our theatres back into, you know, into life, I feel like they're all running on life support right now. And um, I just want to... <laughs> I just want theatres to survive. I think they will. Mm. Not all of them, but... Yeah. Well, let's yes, let's... Hope. Yeah, we were in a packed... Packed... Uh, and they didn't auditorium. Feel that good. Well, I don't want to talk about that because it might put people off going to the movie theaters. But yeah, we we were in a packed um, showing of No Time to Die on Friday night. We went to see that as civilians, and um, yeah, it was it was odd being in a in a theater that had sold every seat. Um, and it was you know the AMC in La Jolla here, which you know has these big lazy boy chairs, so it's not like you're packed in like sardines. But um, still, to have. You know, I ended up trying to create a gap between us and the couple next to us, and then the seat that I was in got sold, mm. and so I had to move back into my assigned seat, which put us both sat next to strangers, and uh, still a little, little squeamish about that, as vaccinated and not yet boosted, but as vaccinated as we are. Yeah, I went to see Mass in the theaters yesterday as well, but luckily there. You know, there just weren't as many people watching it, so I, I could distance myself. I, I still had to pick a seat, mm-hmm. but, you know, I kind of distanced myself away from everybody else as much as possible. Yeah. Well, I just hope they're doing the cleaning job that they're supposed to and that the air filtration systems evacuate the air and send it off somewhere else. Um, anyway, uh, it was still, again, despite all of that, I feel like um, the movie theatre was the right choice to make even for a bond movie these days but we'll talk about that in a bit three movies to get through do we have time for a quick netflix netflix pick we do all right let's make it real quick then um so uh who's ready with a with an offering yeah so uh, a few years ago at the tribeca film festival uh my favorite movie that i watched that year was a film called permission which had rebecca hall dan stevens and gina gershon I liked that movie so much that I kind of was waiting for it to show up somewhere in the theaters on platforms and it was only available as a DVD. I purchased the DVD and I'm happy now that Amazon Prime has it streaming. Really? Yes. I watched that with you. I love that movie. It's about this very young couple, Dan Stevens and Rebecca Hall. And before they're going to get married, they both say you know, we are going to be monogamous with each other for the rest of our lives. Let's, before we get married, let's give each other permission to kind of go sleep with whoever else you want. And what seems like a simple kind of very progressive way of looking at things develops into many complications. It's just a very smart movie. It's very clever. It avoids all the cliches. It's heartwarming, but not in a saccharine way. It's just a smart, smart, movie so i would recommend that it's called permission okay and uh, i agree yes it was a very good movie um and i'm happy that others will get to watch it now um so i am recommending uh, a few weeks ago yes joe and myself got to see 
um, one of my favorite comedians, which is Veer Das, V-I-R, uh, surname Das or Das, D-A-S, um, perform um, in a comedy club in San Diego. And he was excellent. And He kicked um, off his latest world tour out of San Diego. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Um, and he was brilliant. And if you get a chance to see him live, he's currently doing shows in the U.S., all over the U.S., um, it was just brilliant and topical and funny and just rip roaring. Anyway, um, he has an Amazon original show, which is comedy and travel, which I've never seen before, um, called Destination Unknown. And also he has a ton of specials on Netflix. So you can catch him on any medium live on Amazon Prime or on Netflix. So that's my recommendation. Great show. It's like a travel comedy show. I don't know how to explain it, but just just watch one. Yeah, just look up Veer Das, V-I-R-D-A-S, like you said. And, you know, I'm not a big comedy stand-up person no, uh, at all. And I... I, I dragged just, you along. Yeah, I was dragged along and, and my mind was officially blown. He reminds me of a young Robin Williams in that yes. his mind is firing with a hundred things at once. All of them pretty genius with a lot of... Uh, you know, amazing uh, insight. Insight. Yeah. Um, and yet, this is not something that is done on the fly. It's been practiced and honed, and every line has been, you know, perfected to hit at just the right point. So, uh, yeah, look up his stuff, guys. Yeah, yeah. We just watched um, Dave Chappelle's latest entry on Netflix, and um, there's a lot of similarities in the t in the type of comedian that they are. They're very, very thoughtful, deep. Um, insightful and not afraid to say the controversial thing you know love them or hate them they they have a point of view and they're worth listening to so great pick Rashmi um, and yes you while you were um, talking about permission episode 356 of Movie All Us is where we talked about it at the Tribeca Film Festival wow very good 2013 2017 Tribeca wow if you want to hear Yazdi's original review of permission before taking the plunge but as um, raved about it, yes. It was good. <laughs> My pick is a really somewhat lazy pick because I think we may have talked about these before, but um, it's of the October net releases on Netflix, it's the one that kind of stood out to me as um, if you've missed it somehow, then you should see it. And it is the, um, the movie The Trip, which I believe we've spoken about, and it's it's got two or three sequels. Um, the trip I kind of want to go back and revisit because the sequels, the trip to Italy, the trip to Spain, uh, I found to be you know absolutely wonderful um, uh, kind of buddy movies. Um, and the original trip was the one that launched it, which was I think a trip around the UK, right? Um, where they, they were forced together through circumstance. So um, Steve Coogan, and I'm blanking on his... Um, Rob. Compadres. Rob. Um, They're both British. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, another voice actor. I'm sorry, but it is... is, is um, can't remember him. He's but not as well known, but... There have been five The Trip movies. There have been multiple Rob Brydon. Rob Brydon, thank you, yes. Uh, very funny. Very funny. Um so, yeah, I kind of want to go back and revisit that. And I think if you haven't seen any of these movies, they are definitely worth your while. Um, they take a little bit of adjusting to the tone because they they come off as almost, um, you know, office -y type reality where, you know, they, they're, they're not playing characters that are different from themselves. They're very much playing a kind of an alternate version of themselves. Um, and... Um, yeah, they, they can be very funny, very warming, very endearing and quite jarring at times in terms of some of the decisions they make with the story. So, uh, the trip. Okay, we have a full, 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 full podcast here. So, why don't we jump into our three reviews. The first one is the movie Mass. So, um, I'll give this one a quick uh, review in, a quick intro rather from its uh, Rotten Tomatoes uh, summary page so uh, years after an unspeakable tragedy tore their lives apart two sets of parents played by Jason Isaacs Martha Pimpton Reed Burney and Anne Dowd agreed to talk privately in an attempt to move forward um, the 
movie is directed by Fran Kranz. Again, I've already mentioned the lead actors. Um, I didn't get to see this. I know, Rashmi, you have, and Yazdi, you have as well. So mm-hmm. what do you think? Um, this is a masterclass of um, acting and directing. Um, to say it's enjoyable is difficult because it's about a very difficult topic. Um, but the way this is done is just masterful. It, I, I, I just can't, I'm kind of speechless at how good this is and how affecting and effective it is. And I can say more. Yasdi, why don't you, you tell me what you think as well? Yeah, I think uh, all movies come with some degree of artifice, right? When we sit down, whether you're watching it at home or in a theater, you know you're watching something fake. It's been made up. And um, I saw this in the theater, but I don't think it would matter if I watched it at home as well. Um, I I felt the first 10 minutes felt a little fussy. I'm like, get to the point, what's happening? But then once the movie gets what it's about, I lost all sense of artifice. I did not realize I was in my cinema seat. I did not realize the rest of my world and my problems. I was in there with those four characters. The whole movie, it pretty much is those four characters. And I think we underestimate how difficult it is to create that. It's so difficult because at any point, any actor, if they betray the slightest bit of, you know, less than stellar craft, it's it's going to break through. It's going to be like, oh, that person is acting or, oh, I'm in a cinema watching this. I, I was just completely in with them. And I think it's a testament to this, what you said, Rashmi, which is this brilliant acting, directing. Um, it could be a stage play, but I think actually the movie would be is more effective because it's able to get very close to these people's faces. And at any point, I recommend everybody watch this movie as... Like you said, it's not an, a fun time at the movies, but everybody needs to watch it. But at any time where one character is saying something, look at the faces of the other three actors and see how marvelous they are. It's just every actor saying something and the other three reacting to it. It's difficult to watch, but it's just absolutely devastating. And it's devastating because it's done with honesty. It's not taking sides. It's not, it doesn't have a political agenda. I would shy away from something like this like a million miles. I would be like, I cannot do justice to this. My personal feelings are going to come in. I'm going to, you know, the actors will not be up to the task. And I only saw it late last night. And in the time since then, my mind has been doing this game of musical chairs where I'm like, which actor was better than, mm. than the others? And I cannot for the life of me. I thought it was one. Then I'm like, no, then this, then this, then this. They are all remarkably superior if it was you know in an ideal world they would all be nominated it's that good yeah i agree and and i think um so mass is for mass shooting um just to get it out there um and that's not a spoiler um the other film that had me thinking about this topic was the the wonderful film from a few years ago called we need to talk about kevin um which is we often forget that Parents of people who do heinous crimes, heinous crimes, are also people and also lose someone. And so it's a great exploration and unpacking of what it must feel like for parents um, of people who just do terrible, terrible things. And it humanizes the inhumanizable in a sense. And it's not asking for your sympathy um, it's just kind of showing you a different point of view and how we spoke about um, The Last Jewel. Remember how that kind of almost films the movie from three different perspectives? This felt similar in the sense that we're seeing an event, but we're looking at it through different lenses and how it impacts each one of the people who are deeply impacted by the same event. Um, this is genius. And like you said, Yassi, I also thought this could easily be a stage play. Um, but it's it's really good as a movie. Um, and it's interesting that they chose to bookend 
the the main part of the movie, which is these four people having a discussion with this kind of almost quasi comical dark comediness. Yeah. Um and it works. Those actors are really, really good. But again, you're right. I, I didn't quite understand where they fit, but it worked as a movie. I I don't know. I don't know this writer, director, Fran... Um, Fran Kranz. Fran Kranz. I suspect... I don't know. I, I need to read up. But I suspect when they originally wrote the script for it, they realized... I, I, like you, I thought, dispense with that 10 minutes at the beginning and five minutes. It, it's just bracketing it. But I suspect what happens in between is so wrenching that if they just made a movie film like that, it would make this movie even more difficult to, you know, to be palatable. So I think they've kind of, it's almost like releasing the pressure a little bit and saying you can breathe. Um, so I, yeah, it, it seems like an odd structure, but I, I agree it does work, especially what happens at the end. Um, I, I also think that you know, what I really like about, and this is just brilliant writing because I think each one of those characters could become such a stereotype, such an awful stereotype. And again, don't ask me to write, if somebody asked me to write the script, I would not be able to do it. But the way this is being written, you see how each person is almost on a, what's that scale we use at work? Um, Myers-Briggs. You can almost see their Myers-Briggs scales. It's so beautifully written because you're like, okay, this guy is one who, you know, is he has to be in control. He has to control the narrative. Whereas she's the one who always wants to please everyone. And this is a person who is very analytical. And, you know, I could almost see them as individual characters with individual ways of working. And it's 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 an interaction between two two couples but the but and the fun not the there's no fun in this but the 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 excellent part is seeing how the two couples react with each other but what was to me even more fascinating is what seeing how the couples react each couple reacts within themselves and they both deeply love each other but you can see kind of the the cracks and the frail and and you know the, the fissures and um and it's it's a work of empathy at the end it's not necessarily looking to point fingers and there were times where I was like oh I would never ask this or I wouldn't go there but they are the people who they are and who knows how you would react in that situation so I know what we're saying probably sounds all abstract without getting into details but I wonder if I'll see better acting this year I really do. wow yeah yeah uh, and Dowd you know who was so great in that movie Compliance remember her and she's on uh, Handmaid's Tale Handmaid's Tale she's Aunt, Aunt Lydia uh, she is a class act. She and she's so different here than she is. She's as Lydia yes. in, in uh, *Handmaid's Tale* and uh, Martha Plimpton, who I've only seen like on NBC comedy shows. I did not know she had it in her. She must be a stage actress, and shame on me for not knowing more about her. But if I had to absolutely, if somebody put a gun to my head and pick one of them, I would pick her. She and I know, I know, everybody would pick a different person, but she just, just completely devastated me. Uh, and Jason Isaacs, who's a British actor. I know, I was just going to say that. Who we have seen in Harry Potter and other movies. Uh, again, Death I, of Stalin. Death of, I did not know again that, you know, he has this in him. So Real but, acting chops. Yeah. This is yeah. honestly, this is a must watch. I mean, I can sum this up. This is, gosh, I should give this a 10 out of 10. Um, but it's too sad for that, I think. Nine out of 10. You took a point off for sadness? <laughs> it's not an easy watch. It's not an easy watch. Yeah, mm. it's not universally it's easy not a, to recommend. And if you've lost a child, this must be awful to watch. Mm. Yeah, I give it an eight and a half out of ten, which probably towards the end of the year I'll bump up to a nine. But right now I'm going to back down to an eight. It's uh, it's just more than anything else. It it reminds me that if you have good, good, good talent both in writing as well as in acting. You don't need much. There's a room in four actors for much of this movie, and it's it's going to be unforgettable for me for the rest of the year. Uh, again, I, I don't give it a full nine because um, I think you have to be in a particular frame of mind to watch it. But once mm. you're in it, again, it's just a masterclass in acting. It really is. Excellent. Yeah. 
Okay. Um, I guess it's time for (laughs) (laughs) a review of The French Dispatch. Rashmi. I have been waiting. Walk us into this one. (laughs) Waiting. I'm just trying to be symmetrical when I... When I read Rule the, of thirds. Yeah, okay. I'm trying to be. Um, so it's here. Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch has arrived in theatres. It's playing right now. Um, it is a love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in The French Dispatch. So this is um, directed by Wes Anderson, produced by Wes Anderson, written by Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola, usual, you know, usual writing credits for a Wes Anderson movie. Um, It stars all of Wes Anderson's friends. Let me just leave it there. But, you know, the usuals, it's got Benicio Del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Leia Seydoux, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet. This has Jeffrey Wright. This has um, Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Christoph Waltz, Ed Norton, Jason Schwartzman. Angelica Houston's here. Um, Everyone, everyone that you have seen in previous Wes Anderson movies is in this. So look at Joe's face already. He hasn't (laughs) even started talking yet. I'm just doing the credits. Um, Who wants to start? I think Joe, we should let Joe start. What do you think, Yasti? Sure. Okay. All right. Have it. Come on. Let's let's have it. <laughs> if, 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 if you insist. Um, Joe, what did you think of the French Dispatch? So, um, let me... Uh, there's kind of a little bit of an in-joke going on here, which is, if you haven't listened to a lot of movie wallers, um, Rashmi is to Wes Anderson as Joe is to Chris Nolan. I would say that's probably... Uh, there's a truth to that. Um, and he has to use somewhere in the middle. And I, you know, I've never been a huge fan of Wes Anderson's work. I mean, I'll, I admire um, movies like The Grand Budapest Hotel, but they're all too frothy, capery, nonsensey. And this is distilled Anderson. Oh, my goodness me. This movie um, from, from the get-go is just pure, stylish, handsomely made, well-directed, Vision, you know, it's kind of like a coffee table art book where you kind of want to flick through it and just admire each page. But much like a coffee table art book, I don't read the damn things, right? I look at the pictures, I look, oh, that's pretty, you know, and flip through. And they might be like a dense page of text, but I'm never going to read it. And this is how that movie felt. I didn't connect with any of the story aspects of this at all. It was a dreadful bore. It was beautiful, handsome exquisitely crafted nonsense to me so um <laughs> i just it's not my cup of tea i, I think i i struggled to stay awake through some of it and yes there is a narrative piece with the chalamet i think that was probably the most interesting but the chalamet vignette with mcdormand but um you know the rest of it just just failed to land in any meaningful way so i'll stop there uh bitching and moaning to continue and pass over to the next third yes the yeah, so I think um, of all the Wes Anderson movies, uh, there's a lot of what you said, Joe, which kind of, actually, it's something you said is in my notes, but uh, let me just say, of all the Wes Anderson movies, this is the most Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson movie. And that's saying quite a lot, because, you know, every Wes Anderson movie is undoubtedly <laughs> a Wes Anderson movie. So uh, needless to say, I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan, and I think there are very few visual stylists in current cinema who can match his obsessive vision. But even then, this one exhausted me. I, I, you know, maybe it's the structure of this one because it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, the genius of it. And I will use the there is genius. He's he's a genius. This genius of it is that the whole thing is structured like a magazine. It's his homage to The New Yorker. He grew up with that. And we can talk about nostalgia. And there's been a lot written about this movie. And we can get to that. Um, so I didn't have some some main story to latch on to emotionally. And unlike you, Joe, I actually found the first story so much more compelling. And after that, it just became like... Like, you know, I was, I was being, I was drinking through the hose of style, like style was coming at me, coming at me, and I was appreciating it. And I wrote exactly the same thing in my notes, which is that it's like you have this 
gorgeous coffee table book and you're turning page one and you're like, wow, then you turn page two. By the time you turn to page 74, you're like, okay, I get it. I don't want to watch. I don't want to turn the page anymore. So I got exhausted. Uh, and unlike you, the Timothy Chalamet part was insufferable to me it was too precious and i know he's doing the whole new french wave thing didn't work for me but i still admire him for his style go on rashmi look ma no hands um <laughs> this is um yeah i agree with what everything you've said other than i love this movie because it's wes anderson and i think this is almost like wes anderson's Resume, yeah, resume in a nutshell, right? He's got animation, he's got black and white, he's got a little bit of noir, it's got, you know, um, a caper, it's got um, old 20s style. This is just everything. White screen, square Everything, everything is in here. And um, other than a really good excuse to call all your friends in and, and make a movie um, it's really just a series of vignettes, and and again, it it's like it's like browsing through a magazine. It's so beautiful and effervescent and just delightful. But even I felt like I was drinking from the hose of Wes Anderson for this one. So I think for me, I would love to get a copy of this for Christmas, um, and I would love to watch this in in and, and digest yeah. it in. Yeah, 10-minute segments or each little vignette. Um, brilliant acting, brilliant writing, wonderful composition. It's just, it's stunning. It's stunning. Yes, Wes Anderson, we know you are a genius. There's a density to it that I think is off-putting because I feel like it's really hard to keep up with it all. Um, you, you don't even get time to linger. Like, you know, if it was a book... I, I would linger on some of the pages for a while and kind of, you know, there's there's clearly lots of little Easter eggs and hidden jokes and things around each each set. Um, but it to me, it's just the epitome of style over content. I mean, you say drinking from the fires of style, Yasti, but that, that felt like there was, that's all there is. And that's really unfair because I think there's a lot written into this movie, but you can't appreciate any of it because my biggest beef with Anderson's work has always been how distracting his fussiness is, you know, Moonrise Kingdom, uh, Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, those are probably my two favorite Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom, because it was just so much more accessible than, than a lot of his other work. Grand Budapest Hotel, because, you know, we, we bantered about it, I think on the podcast with you, with me kind of trying to knock it but at the end of the day I couldn't escape the fun of it all right the Grand Budapest Hotel had a, a sense of um you know comic caper and um you know the jokes came thick and fast and uh, you know it, it succeeded in spite of the Wes Anderson-ness of it to me but um you know this this is just him literally like taking every idea he has in terms of visual audible composition and and throwing it in and story too it's, i mean it's a distillation of his his mind his brain and um yeah it's too much of a too much of a in my opinion not not a good thing but it's too much of a wes anderson thing i mean i love that benicio del toro I leia Sedu story I the little that. vignette was just delightful i, I want to see movie a whole that. movie exactly i want to see a whole movie of that and i wish I wonder if this actually was four different movies exactly. that he didn't quite, exactly. you know, have enough for a full movie. And so he decided to do a magazine of it. Yeah. I wonder if he if he planned that particular part as a full movie and then maybe he maybe he filmed two hours of it and then just pared it down and then he's like well i need other stuff and let me throw other stuff i don't i don't know how the structure came to be but yeah i can i would give like a nine an eight and a half out of ten if there was a movie just based on the leah sadu and uh, uh adrian brody and uh benicio, benicio del, del toro. toro piece it's i'd really love that piece there is this british director called peter greenaway and he's made movies like uh, The Cook, The Thief, His Wife and Her Lover, Drowning by Numbers, Pillow Book, etc. And he started off as a master visualist. And he, as he started making more and more movies, 
he started having split screens and he would have like music playing and he would have like little ticker tape symbols going at the bottom and then things would break up into 10 things. And he's almost possessed by <laughs> throwing information at you. And now his movies are like, it's like reading somebody's thesis. It's like, I what what I, what is all this? There's something in Japanese. There's something in German. <laughs> the screen is script, you know, split into 14 things. Somebody is singing. There are naked people running. It's like, what is this? So it becomes, it's an output of like an over, like his brain is just coming out on the screen. And... Um, I fear, I fear with something like this, this Wes Anderson should not become so giddy with what's in his brain that he forgets to kind of put a whole story together. So I, I don't think he's at a risk of this, but even his last movie, The Isle of Dogs, I just, I adored it for all its problems because it, ha it had a full story. The other thing which bothers me here, and it hasn't bothered me before with other Wes Anderson movies is, why are you inviting... Christoph Waltz for two sentences. Why is Elizabeth Moss in this movie for two sentences? Because they want to be in a Wes Anderson movie. I, know, I mean, I I would go in for like. I know, but it's a waste. One scene. It's a waste of their time. So Ronan is like, he's like, oh, I need three hookers for a scene, and wouldn't it be fun if Sir Ronan was one of them? And it was. And it was, but Sir Ronan has nothing to do. It's it's kind of a, I find it disrespectful to their talent. I mean, if if you're making I, them all sing together, or if you're making them do something spectacular, that's fine. But they're only in the frame. And and this. this so that's that's my thing. But, is it just seems like no. But, Don't invite everybody to a party and then just have them stare at the wall. But I want to comment on that because I think that's my whole point with this movie. He's doing it because he can, right. because mm -hmm. he can call Saoirse Ronan and she's like, sure, what time? Um, I'll be there uh, and, I'll, and I'll be in your movie. And I think just because you can doesn't mean you should. There's an essence of throwing everything in at this movie and he needs to dial it back maybe you know this is one for the fans you know it, it, it's as Wes Anderson the Wes Anderson movie could be um but he needs to in my opinion just take a step back and you know you, you can't have you know too much foie gras right like in, no matter how much you enjoy a particular thing you can't indulge to this extent and it be as and it have the effect that you want because it's 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 too much. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, and I'm shocked. I'm this is coming out of my mouth. Um, but this is a caricature of the movie maker. This movie is a caricature yeah. of itself. It's self parody. It is, and so I think. In fact, um, sorry, there's a the critic here from the Observer in the UK who says, "I found it to be one of the most punchable films I've ever seen." And yeah, that was exactly my sentiment. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I feel like Wes Anderson needs to go back to the drawing board now. He's given us, the fans, the most Wes Anderson he can be. And now I think you're right. He needs to dial it back and give us just a full movie, a traditional, you know, quirky, regular Wes Anderson. We don't need all the bells and whistles. This had, this was like a chocolate eclair with jam and cream and chocolate sprinkles and fruit and which I love, you know, I love that. Um, and you know, a flavor that changes halfway through. I mean, except it was, it was a bag of those. Yeah. It was a bag of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I also think, I think, I think he could have made a movie with exactly the structure, but without all the embellish embellishments. Yeah. Um, like there, you know, he has a beautiful homage to Tintin comics, right? It's clearly Tintin. He's in love with Tintin. So fine, make a Tintin movie. You, can, you know? and I think he's in love with everything French, right? I he mean, is. he lives in he's Paris now. Yeah, yeah he, he lives. lives in Paris. This is filmed in France. I mean, this is a love letter to to Paris as much as it is to journalism. But so was the Darjeeling Limited. So I mean, he's made movies in 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 Paris and France, which is fine. But there's a very interesting, uh, NPR has an article about, you know, he seems to be nostalgic for like the New Yorker of the 50s or 60s, yeah. which is before he was born. So it's very, it's kind of hard to grasp because normally you're, you're nostalgic for something that that you experienced yourself when no, you were younger. not always. Not but yeah, always, sometimes, yeah. yeah, like you're nostalgic for the 20s. I'm you know, nostalgic, example. exactly. Right. So it's very interesting that he is so in love. I mean... 
what surprised me is he's always very reluctant about matters of the flesh as a filmmaker and there is abundant nudity in this movie and I'm like oh, uh, uh, what happened here? How and, brave? <laughs> I mean Leia Sadu, how brave? <laughs> and I think it's because he's making a movie which is kind of new you know French new agey and he's like well that you have to have nudity in it. So he's doing a lot of things just because that's what amazes him but I think if I put together a movie which was a composite of everything I liked, it would be boring. It, would, it wouldn't be boring, but it would be like, okay, I like this kind of Indian cinema and I like this kind of Japanese pottery, but if I just throw it all together, it's not going to make <laughs> a good story. So I think a little bit of restraint. I love Wes Anderson. I will give him both my kidneys if he ever needs them. I think the world needs Wes Anderson. He's such a thorough stylist and such amazingly genius at that. I'm not nowhere near giving up on him, but I'm giving up on this movie, and, and I will, I will, uh, I'll give it a five out of ten, <gasps> or maybe a five and a half. But I, I, there were that whole Timothy Chalamet part. I was like, please bring this ship home. Please bring this ship home. I was like, this is insufferable. It's too precious. Uh, you know, I like the story about the Nescafe, and I like the one with Leah Sado and uh, Benicia that middle one. I was like. Just because you love the movies of that time, don't make me suffer watching right. this thing, which doesn't make any sense at all. That story made no sense. So, sorry, five and a half out of ten. But I still love you, Wes Anderson. Which you will what, back up or back down? I'll back up to six because it, it is a visual delight. But it is it, it is too much of foie gras. It is. My, my mouth was disgusted after a while. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to eat foie gras ever again. Joe? <laughs> Especially not foie gras covered in truffle oil, yes. deep fried in goodness knows what. Yeah, um, you know, I mean, I knew going into this that this was not going to, you know, this would have to be very good and, and something different. It was not. It was just more and more of what we've seen Wes Anderson do in more and more, you know, Wes Anderson wrapped in Wes Anderson, wrapped in Wes Anderson. So, yeah. I struggled to enjoy it at all. I mean, I, I wanted out to be honest. Uh, five out of ten for me, and you know the the Mister Men. Do you remember the Mister Men books as kids? Mm -hmm. um, so it made me think of um, Wes Anderson so fussy with his composition. It made me think of the Mister Fussy book. While we were talking, <laughs> um, this is the the Mister Fussy homepage, MisterMen.com. So Mister Mister Fussy is a fussy old fusspot. He's fussy about everything. He's so fussy, he even irons his shoelaces. He won't tolerate anything imperfect. He likes to dust the flowers in his garden. He polishes his eggs. Mr. Fussy spends an hour each day brushing his hair. That is this movie. That is this movie. That's Wes Anderson all through and through, and it's too much. Stop it. Yeah, unfortunately, this doesn't have the wisdom of something like the Royal Tannenbaums mm -hmm. or, you know, the the endearingness charm. or charm of Darjeeling Limited or even um, the wit of the fantastic Mr. Fox or, you know, the, the overall cleverness and delight of Grand Budapest Hotel. It just doesn't have that. This is, this is really style over function, but it does have some function. I don't hate it as much as you two and I wasn't, you know, overly vomiting over the, the foie gras by the end of it. So for me, this this is a seven, solid seven, solid seven. It's a theme today. Okay. Um, I guess we've got a couple minutes just to talk about Bond. Mm -hmm. um, we don't need to necessarily do an in-depth review. And yes, you haven't seen this one yet either. Shame on me, I have not. I missed the screening and you know, well, it's been delayed and delayed and delayed. I'll yeah. forgive you for missing it. So, why don't you tell us all about No Time to Die and then Rashmi and I'll give you our thoughts. For sure. So, uh, director Kerry Joji Fukunawa kind of broke onto the screen uh, with the movie uh, Sin Nombre a few years ago. And ever since then, he has been um, kind of a sought after property. He famously directed the True Detective series, um, one season of it, uh, in uh, you know a few years ago, and you know he's he's made his share of uh, pretty amazing movies since then. 
And it's very interesting that he was the one who was tapped to kind of direct this. Uh, he did Jane Eyre. He did uh, Beasts of No Nation. And then he was tapped to play this uh, latest uh, 24th edition of uh, James Bond. And, uh, you know, much has been made about this because this is kind of uh, the swan song for Daniel Craig's incarnation playing uh, uh, James Bond. And we can talk more about it. His, his, his uh, reign as James Bond has been very distinctive. Um, but uh, this one has writers Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and then Kerry Joji Fukunaga, uh, uh, you know, with the writing credits. And um, the uh, it includes uh, Anna de Armas, uh, Daniel Craig, Leah Sidhu is here as well, and Rami Malek as the bad guy. Um, and Lashana Lynch is here, Ben Bishaw, Naomi, Vera, uh, Naomi Harris, and Ray Fiennes. They all show up. Jeffrey Wright, who we also saw, as did we see Christoph Waltz um, in uh, The French Connection, our year in... The French Dispatch. The French Dispatch, sorry. The French Connection is a far superior movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so the, the one-liner um, summary for No Time to Die is, James Bond has left active service. His peace is short-lived when Felix Leiter, an old friend from the CIA, turns up asking for help, leading Bond onto the trail of a mysterious villain armed with dangerous new technology. Sounds like every James Bond movie. Except uh, previous James Bond's incarnations have not left active service, but this one has. Uh, you guys both saw it. Tell me. Yawn. <laughs> really? I'm so happy this is over. Um, so we, Joe and I, because we watched this as civilians, we sure. kind of had a little bit of a chat about it um, in the car because we just couldn't hold in our yawningness and boredom. Mm. Um yeah, this is so soapy. This is awful. Awful. I didn't like this really? at all. So boring. Was it boring because you're done with uh, Daniel Craig? No, it's and his just version? tonally not James Bond. And Joe and I kept having this conversation. Well, so, what do you want Bond to be? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we, we talked about I mean, I. I didn't want you to have the impression that I hated the movie. I think the movie was fine. It's just um, it's James Bond is supposed to be, you know, espionage and, and action. And the problem that the Craig franchise has run into, in my opinion, is that they're trying to carry this narrative from movie to movie to movie, which has, you know, James Bond not even working for Her Majesty's Secret Service. Like, you know, to me, that's what Bond has always been about. You know, he has stakes. He has people he cares for. He is vulnerable in that way. He this gets is, hurt. Yeah, he get no. The getting hurt, I thought, was a really good touch in Casino Royale, and that was that was the boot for this one, where you know Bond gets thrown down a staircase, and you know he's has to pick himself up afterwards and go, you know, wash his face because you know he's been pulverized, and you know that brings a realism to it, which I think was very felt very authentic. But you know, here when he's worried about, you know, his girlfriend dying or something like that like you know the whole bond this is a man who's trained licensed to kill right secret agent this is the man that disappears into the shadows and bond has been a you know necessarily not necessarily that kind of espionage but he's he's been that that you know that super clever um you know now he's got all these things to worry about and that's just not bond he doesn't even work for the government anymore so the franchise is done and i think it felt like it this was one too many, like for me at least. I, I was just like, please just end this now. And we knew it was going to end, so I'm glad it's done. Uh, but, you know, it was no okay K action movie. It's dull. It's but it just wasn't Bond. dull. It's dull. I mean, when I think about Daniel Craig, firstly, in, in a Bond movie, he always looks like he's smelling a bad smell, like a stink bomb's gone off and he's screwing up his nose. That's how he looks the entire time. And when I think of Daniel Craig as an actor, he's far superior in films like Logan Lucky or Knives Out, where he's doing something. Um, look, he... He's very easy on the eye. He's great to look at. But two hours and 43 minutes, no thanks. That does seem overly indulgent. I I, I don't know if those extra 43 minutes are deserved. I, I haven't seen it. but I think it should have been one hour and, fine. And, I mean, and 13 minutes. It went by quick enough in a way that Bond movies do. Um, I think the movie to me had, you know, really struggled with its bad guys as well. I mean, um, mm. the, the bad guys 
you know, Rami Malek for all his acting chops um, doesn't work for me in this role. He's supposed to be this diabolical supervillain, and you know, he he struggles to put to harm the hair on a little girl's head. Yet he's got a diabolical scheme to kill millions of people. Yeah, Um, and there's a way that that can be done. But not the way that this was done. Yeah. He uh, comes off a bit like the, the Jesse Eisenberg Lex Luthor in the mm. reboot of the Supermans. It just doesn't, just doesn't it doesn't work. It's not sinister enough. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the the highlight of the movie to me was a, sl- a small scene in Cuba where we have Anna de Armas mm. walk in and she's just, she's a, she's a, she's an agent just out of agent school. And so she's a little bit nervous because this is kind of her first assignment. And they ha- they they have some really fun moments with that where, you know, she's clearly, you know, um, excited because it's her first real mission. But she's also, you know, not quite polished, but she's also badass because she's just had all this training. So really fun little sequence with that. And I felt like, you know, that 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 to me felt like this is what more of this movie should have been. Instead, it's all brooding and heavy and um soapy like rashmi said you know you know they're just yeah frustrating sight unseen i look i loved casino royale i think everybody did and you know i acknowledge that christopher nolan is is a great master filmmaker but this nolanization of the universe is it doesn't always work so my okay nothing wrong with with you know um um uh, Casino Royale, but to continue with this dour, weighed down version of, you know, he never smiles. Yeah, version of James Bond for like five movies. I think it's too much. And and you know, they keep thinking, well, this dour version says something about the way we live right now. It doesn't. James Bond is always supposed to be outside of the way we live right now because we go to James Bond for fun and games. And I I don't want the Roger Moore cheesiness, but I at least want a wink of the eye. I want some enjoyment and some mastermindedness instead of just being weary and burdened. And so it's fine. I mean, I have nothing wrong. There's different ways to explore James Bond, but I hope whoever comes back brings, you know, not younger necessarily in age, but younger in spirit and younger in energy, who kind of brings back that kind of, you know, fun and game and Saturday morning. Like what what will James Bond do? How will he kind of, you know, mastermind and foil, you know, people who are so clever. I, I want that intrigue back in the franchise. Yeah, this is the conversation that we were having, Yasdi, which is Bond's been out bonded by Mission Impossible mm-hmm. in terms of a more fun franchise, and it's been out bonded in terms of the spiness by Jason Bourne. So I think the James Bond franchise is sitting in a really strange place at the moment, which is what is it meant to be? And I think it's what Joe said. We want the espionage and the cleverness and the fact that he can get himself out of things and charm people. This one couldn't charm, you know, a snake out of a bag. And as far as the Nolanization of it, I mean, I think, you know, Casino Royale was a deliberate move by the studio mm-hmm. to do the dark reboot of Bond. I mean, you know, they, they saw Batman Begins and were like, oh, we need to do that with our character. Great. But you're right. I mean, it's gone too far. And even Nolan stopped with three Batmans, you know, I mean, <laughs> it's 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 enough um, that that and, and, and Nolan in some ways, I mean, you know, not to go he's down able, a rabbit hole tenet, but, but he did a tenet he did tenet this past year with um a very much espionage mm-hmm. story right there was global domination stakes yeah there was international men of mystery they were hopping from country to country for seemingly no reason and you know that was very much nolan's view i think of what bond is and was and could be i mean that was that to me it was very obvious that that was a not an audition tape because I think he's already said he's already said he wants to do Bond, but it oh, was really? it was his yeah he said many times that he would love to do Bond just at the right time. Um, I feel like Tenet was his play on that, and we got that right. They, there was no explanation why they had globe trotted the way that they did. They just showed up in Mumbai because that's what you do when you're a spy. You know, it's just great. You know, Capri. Okay, let's go there. And you know, uh, Bond lost a lot of that here. So I'll wrap it up. I mean, No Time to Die is 
it's actually, you know, actually, this is exactly the right time to die. I'm glad <laughs> it's died and it's done. It's behind us and we can move on to something else. So I'm going to give it a generous six out of ten. It wasn't bad in the moment. I think it's an okay action movie. I think this is going to sound awfully arrogant, but I think the unwashed masses of moviegoers will really get a kick out of it. It's fun. You know, there's, there are gadgets and, you know, so on and so forth. No time to die. No time to watch. Four out of ten. Oh, bow. Gosh, we paid good money for those tickets. I know. <laughs> Maybe right. it's high expectations too at this point. But yeah. yeah. It's done well it's done well commercially and critically, yeah. I think. So um yeah, I guess we just expect more of our bond. I think that's what it is. And you know, um Quentin Tarantino has said many times he wants to do a bond. Like if you if you've said Christopher Nolan wants to do a bond, give give the well, reins. Danny over Boyle. The Danny Boyle has said give the no, reins. This was no, no, Danny no. Boyle to start with. Danny Boyle was assigned was signed to this franchise to do oh. this last movie, and he ran into creative differences with the Broccoli's. The, <sighs> the they Danny Boyle and what little escaped seemed to think. It seemed to be along the lines of, you know, he wanted to do things. He wanted to kill the character and all sorts of things. And they said, no, we can't do that. This is Bond, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, so he got fired. Mm. And and they they moved in uh, someone else to do a more traditional rendering of the, the character. So, yeah, I, I agree. You know, I would love to see what Boyle would have done with yeah. this. Bo Where's yeah. Anderson? Christopher Boyle, no. Hell no. <laughs> no. That would be really fun. It would just be I a think, preening barn. I think what we need preening. to do is um, have, you know how they had, um, what was that story? There was the, all the little vignettes. It was in Paris. Is it Paris or France? A love letters to... Oh, I know. What oh, Paris Je Thème. Yeah, Yeah. We should have like a Bon Je Thème and we should have every... Um, director do a vignette yeah i think that moves awesome. the story forward like different scenes that i would, would love be that so awesome yeah that would be good yeah that would be great all right yes i think you go and you need to go and take care of your doggy yes so, good reason good time for us to end the podcast too many movies too little time thank you for listening uh, catch us on instagram and our various other places until next time goodbye from me and me and me as well